Welcome to another episode of Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today, we're going to be talking about a national federalism task force and how that can benefit the United States, especially when we're dealing with the crisis of COVID-19. To discuss this, I have two great experts on the topic. First is the Alec Senior Director of the Federalism and International Relations Task Force, Carla Jones. Thank you so much for calling in for our virtual podcast. Thank you, Dan. Of course. And we also have former Representative Ken Ivory, who is the ALEC Chair of the Center to Restore Balance in Government and also the, an adjunct professor in American Federalism at Utah Valley University. Ken, thanks so much for calling in again. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Of course. So just to kind of set the stage for our listeners, federalism is kind of a nebulous term. For people who know it, they know it well. For people who don't know it, they don't really know anything about it at all. Since we're going to be talking about a national federalism task force, can you quickly describe the idea of federalism and then also describe what the concept of a national federalism task force would be? Yeah, Dan, that's a great place to start. You know, the the founders set out a notion of of a pursuit of happiness, these unalienable rights that that they fought for and died for and, and their life, fortune, sacred honor to preserve these rights. And then they said to secure these rights, governments exist among men. And they looked at every form of government in the known world, uh, you know, democracies. No, they said those are as short in their lives as they are violent in their deaths. Republic, that's getting closer. That's the kind of system we're looking at, but not just any republic. We, we expect this country to go from from sea to sea and be as diverse of, of, as the people that are there in the 13 states at the time, the 13 complete separate com- countries they viewed themselves. They wanted the ability to secure their unique pursuit of happiness, the diversity and the ability to, to grow and thrive and pursue their own unique vision and version of happiness. And that's what federalism was about. It was about having a republic of republics, a compound republic where, where most of what happened happened in the states and you could pursue this unique vision of happiness. And then they would federate for, for national purposes and interstate purposes. Uh, and so it was this, this, this system of government where you divided power between two spheres of government, state and national, and then they would work together and they would actually control and balance each other for what they called, Dan, a double security to the rights of the people, a double security to our unique pursuit of happiness. Yeah, I I actually really like that, a double security. And that makes a lot of sense because it's about the balance between, um, you know, the national mentality of government and also the local and state government mentality. Carla, the idea that Ken's talking about here seems like to me, something that our members, our listeners would be really interested in, something that resonates with them. So what have ALEC members done from a model policy perspective to support this idea of a national federalism task force? Well, this is the perfect time for you to be asking that question because on Friday, March 27th, we held an expedited virtual task force meeting to consider model policy to support a national federalism task force. And you're absolutely right. It did resonate with our members. The model policy was adopted unanimously by both the public and the private sector members of the task force. So now we're just waiting for the board to review it 
before it becomes final ALEC model policy. Yeah, that's awesome. So for our listeners um, who, who you know don't know, our, our ALEC model policy process is, is an awesome method that we use to bring together experts, um, you know, like we're having here on this call, and they discuss and, and plan out the best case uh, solutions to different issues facing the states. But Carla, I think I just uh, cut you off there. Sorry about that. Please continue. Oh, that's all right. Well, one of the other things that the task force has done, and we've been doing this for years, is making sure that state lawmakers understand what federalism is and where that line is. Because even state lawmakers often don't know where the line is. And Representative Ivory, are there ways that we can remedy, like help to teach both the American public and our lawmakers about federalism, how important it is, and where the line is between the federal and state governments? Yeah, that's a great point, Carla. You know, so going back into the system that they designed, you know, Dan and, and Carla, to your point, it, it really was the system that the founders looked to. They said if men were angels, we wouldn't need any of this government at all. But men weren't angels then, and, and, and men and women were not angels today. And so they designed a system that would be self-regulating. And that's where they did this division of powers. And they spoke of divisions and limits and balance of governing power. In fact, James uh, Wilson, who was one of the very prominent founders, he was signed the declaration and was part of the Constitutional Convention and was an original member of the U.S. Supreme Court. He said that this constitution they developed deserves praise for the accuracy which with, they, which, with which they drew that line between the powers of the general government and those of the states. And they said that he said that the powers were as minutely enumerated as was possible. And, and yet today, if you ask most state legislators, where is that line in the limits and the division and the balance of governing powers between the state and the national government? I think very few could even even really articulate that there is a line, let alone where it is. And mm-hmm. you know, we've we've talked before about the kind of the football analogy. If you if you go out to play a football game. And you, you go out on the big game day on the field and you're standing at the 50-yard line and you're facing off with this big opponent and you go to buckle your chin strap and get going and you look down and there are no lines on the field, kind of a disaster. And that's kind of where things are today, Dan. This double security, this compound republic, this, this uniquely balanced form of government that was designed to secure our rights, we really um, it hard-pressed to know if there are lines and where those lines are. And we simply can't defend lines that we can't define. And, and we're seeing that manifest in really critical, uh, even life-threatening ways in the midst of the coronavirus that we're, we're facing right now. I love the football field analogy, and that was in the model policy. And the other thing that struck me about the model policy is that it seems to emphasize coordination between multiple entities. And what really struck me was the specific mention of organizations like ALEC, NCSL, and the Council of State Governments. I don't know that ALEC has any model policy that mentions all three other state-based entities. We should be working together more often, especially on things like federalism. Could you describe how you see 
all of these organizations uniting behind a common purpose and has this emphasis on bringing together organizations that don't always agree on all policy ideas engendered any controversy? Well, that's a great point, Carla. Federalism is not political. This structure, the structure of our government, where we decide things, not what the decisions are. It's really clear. Federalism is about where to decide. Should it be decided at the state or the local level? Or should whatever the matter is be decided at the national level? And and that's what this concept of federalism is about. Where should things be decided so that there's more effectiveness and efficiency and accountability in government? By and large, that's not a political matter. In fact, uh, we had Jonathan Turley, who uh, describes himself as a social progressive, speaking on our federalism curriculum that's available at the uh, Utah Valley University Center for Constitutional Studies website, also on the Federalism Commission for the state of Utah. Uh, He says, down that road lies danger. To say that the structure, this division and balance of powers is political, he says, down that road lies danger. And so uh, part of the resolution in bringing together the National Conference of State Legislatures and the Council of State Governments and ALEC to begin looking at these divisions in the roles and responsibilities of governing powers, it really is incumbent upon the states. In fact, James Madison actually said that directly in Federalist 14. He says, happily for America, happily for the entire human race, we have this system and it's incumbent upon their successors, us, to improve and perpetuate this system. And George Washington, this always gives me chills when I think about it. George Washington, the indispensable man, he says that we designed this system of reciprocal checks. And he says, to preserve this system must be as important for you as it was for us to institute them. So, Ken and Carla, we're talking about this awesome piece of model policy that was just recently developed. And it's very much for lack of a better term, coming at it with an open arms approach, right? To Carla's point, I mean, we're mentioning other state-based organizations that do similar work as ALEC. You know, those state-based organizations might not mention ALEC. I mean, that's not necessarily uh, the normal thing, but we're doing it because this is the right way forward. And it's something that states should get involved in and should, you know, consider more, especially in light of COVID-19. So keeping in mind all of that, have states, have any states adopted legislation in support of an idea like this? Or what sort of movement are we seeing in the states about this? Yeah, right, Dan. So Utah passed uh, House Concurrent Resolution 16, uh, which is very similar to the ALEC model policy. I mean, this, the Utah passed it first. In fact, the ALEC model policy is kind of based on the Utah Concurrent Resolution 16. It passed with broad bipartisan support. You know, in one of the committees, there were some people that uh, raised the concern and said, oh, we wonder about ALEC, and we think that may be uh, too conservative for our liking. And the chair was very effective. He said, well, this is structural and not political. So if you have an organization that you think is as liberal as ALEC may be conservative, please invite them to the table. Because what we're talking about is restoring the governing roles and responsibilities so that we have clarity, so that we're in the mid- when we're in the midst of a crisis, a public health crisis that calls upon what's known as the police powers of the state, the power and the duty, the unique and exclusive power and duty of the states to protect health, safety, and welfare. 
when we're in the midst of a crisis like this, that we have the clarity to know who acts and what the responsibilities are for protecting the very lives and the livelihoods of the people. And, and that's, a, that's a critical aspect that cuts across all political lines. And it's crucial that at this point, when we see a, a federal government that is now centralizing, and, and on both sides of the aisle, we hear people talk about the imperial presidency. Uh, when, when one party's in power, we hear it from, from the other party, and then the other party's in power, and we hear it from that other party, the idea of an imperial presidency and centralizing in government. Well, it's time to just simply look at the health of the system. It's time to put the car in the shop and have a tune-up and say, okay, are the tires balanced before we just jump in the vehicle and push on the gas and call for a different rider and call for going around the track the opposite direction, perhaps. We need to make sure that the car is well-balanced, that the tires are well-balanced, that the engine is finely tuned. And we haven't done that for... Dan, I would submit probably 100 years, and it's certainly time oh, wow. for, for people of all political stripes and persuasions to, to, to come together to do a tune-up and a checkup in to restore and maintain this balance that was intended as the double security for our life and our liberty and our unique pursuit of our own visions of happiness. It's safe to say the engine check light is on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would say objectively across all measures, regardless of party, that, that that's a truism. The check engine light is definitely on. And that's been one of the most fascinating things to me about federalism, especially over the past two to three years, is that it seems to be experiencing this renaissance among progressives. Like I go and I speak to overseas lawmakers about American federalism quite a bit. And one of the tools I use to teach them about it is an exposition on federalism by a comedian who is identified as very much a progressive. Was that the experience of the Utah legislature when considering this legislation that it was agreed upon by both parties? Yeah, there was substantial support, uh, bipartisan support. The minority leader in the House uh, is on the Federalism Commission and uh, Representative Brian King, and he's been a very staunch advocate for clarifying where we make critical decisions of government. Um, he and I may come up with different decisions, but, but we agree that we need to get clarity on where those decisions should be made first and then have wonderful debates on what should happen at those levels of government where the decisions are made. And so, yeah, I mean, after there were some people that raised some concerns about maybe is Alec too conservative and, you know, they actually made a motion to take the name out of the resolution and have it be just NCSL and CSG, you know, National Conference of State Legislatures, Council of State Governments. And that's when the chairman said, well, look, if you, if you know of somebody else that you want to bring in that is a major uh, a player in, in helping and assisting and working for state legislatures, bring them in by all means. And, and on that basis, uh, it ended up passing with bipartisan support uh, in the House and the Senate. So a lot of state legislators have ended their sessions. Is there any sort of option to support this effort for those states um, outside of any sort of state legislative action? 
Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up, Dan. Uh, yes, so so those that are able to run the resolution similar to HCR 16 to also the NAD, the model policy that is uh, in front of the board at Alec, um, please by all means run the resolution. And and the resolution, Dan, here's the here's the the uh, call to action in the resolution. It says now, therefore, be it resolved that the legislature, in this case, the state of Utah, the governor concurring therein calls upon the National Conference of State Legislatures, the Council of State Governments, and the American Legislative Exchange Council to coordinate in the creation of a national federalism task force for the purpose of convening a series of federalism summits to consider and develop plans for restoring and maintaining clearly discernible divisions in the roles and responsibilities of the national government and the states for the benefit and the engagement of the American people. And so with that call to action, um, the resolution, if they can, but if not, then many states are looking at sign-on letters, Dan, where, where they take basically the essence of the resolution and simply circulate that uh, today, probably electronically for electronic signatures among their colleagues. And then the sign-on letter would go out to the three organizations to encourage them as state legislators and state legislatures, these three organizations work for them. And so by assignment to say, you three organizations that work for us, get together and help us clarify these roles and responsibilities so that when we're in the midst of a crisis like this, we can act clearly understanding our roles and responsibilities. And then we can also prevent the growth and further centralization of government, which often happens in a crisis like this. This is when government tends to grow and it, it doesn't ratchet back. And so to be very careful about monitoring that balance, because it was that balance, again, that was designed to secure our unique pursuit of happiness. So especially with what you just said um, there, Ken, about how during COVID-19 um, and other crises, like this, those are the moments that government tends to grow or at least easily grows or people are more willing or accepting of that growth, perhaps. Um, and of course, COVID-19 right now, for those who are listening, I'm sure is still at the top of everyone's minds, the top of my mind. I'm working out of uh, my bedroom right now in a desk. So with all those considerations, let's imagine for a moment that the National Federalism Task Force already existed months ago, for a while, what have you, how might the state's response have been different if the National Federalism Task Force already existed? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think the number one thing would be we would clearly understand that the police power is possessed by the states and not the national government. The Supreme Court has said that as recently as a couple of years ago. And they've been saying it for you know, several hundred years. One of the truisms in our system is that what they call the police power. Now, we, when we think of police power, we think of police, police with badges and guns. And it includes that. But, but the definition and, and what this police power was uh, from the beginning is the ability and the duty to protect the health and the safety and the welfare of a community. And so, again, the Supreme Court has said that that power that health, safety, welfare power, known as the police power, is, direct quote, possessed by the states and not the national government. 
Well, if we know that, then our crisis response is hastened because we know who acts and we know who's responsible. In fact, Dan, there was a meeting of the governors with uh, FEMA on March 19th, and they had governors uh, from Massachusetts and Nebraska, New Jersey, uh, Maryland, Utah was there, Georgia, you know, across the across the country, Rhode Island. To a person, to a governor, their statement was: We need to make sure that we preserve flexibility in this crisis response because our states are different. The needs of our people are different. Our economies are different. The way the virus is spreading is different. The resources that we have on the ground is different. Um, In fact, in some states, even the powers of the governors to act as an executive and act in in situations like this is different. And and so to, to understand and preserve that that's where, where federalism and, and this, this preserving this balance and understanding it then allows us to make sure that we're uh, preserving unique economies, dealing with things uh, in, in a flexible way according to the nature of the states. And that's not to say that there's not a role for the national government, but it, it preserves that ability to act quickly and targeted um, to the unique needs of states and communities. I'm so glad you mentioned the governors because they have truly exhibited an enormous amount of leadership during this crisis, and their approval ratings are showing that. I mean, people who weren't even thinking about who their governors are are now giving their governors like 75 to 100 percent approval ratings. Do you think that this is going to have a lasting impact on how Americans view the states, state government, and federalism, or do you think it's going to be more ephemeral? Well, I think that's entirely up to uh, the state leaders. You know, John Dickinson, uh, one of the very prominent founders that's, that's little remembered today, he said uh, the government of each state is and is to be sovereign and supreme in all things that relate to each state only and to be subordinate barely in those things that relate to the whole. And then he, then he warned and he said it will be their own faults if the several states suffer the federal sovereignty to interfere in the things of their jurisdictions. Um, it really is up to the states. And, and this idea of this, this balance, you, know, you can use the example of a tug of war. If one side is not pulling on the rope and, and you don't have that healthy tension, you get a complete slack in the line that, that allows the foundation to crumble. It's up to the states to understand what that balance is supposed to be and to provide that healthy tension to keep it there. Otherwise, there's a, there's a great quote. There's a book called Crisis and Leviathan. Author Robert Higgs, it's an economic classic. And he warns, he says, you know, government always uses a crisis from the Civil War forward to expand power, not only during the emergency, but also afterward. Emergencies tend to ratchet up the cost and the power of government permanently. And and I think it's really upon the state to make sure in the midst of this, again, not not excluding the role of the national government. And there's a critical role uh, for the national government as well. But it's imperative that we maintain the balance and the division in the roles and responsibilities because that's how our system was designed to protect and secure our rights so that we have, as individual citizens, 
a voice and a control on the efficiency and effectiveness of government. But it's not just thousands of miles away by people we don't we can't vote for and have no influence over. To give you an example. Uh, in Utah, we have six members of Congress, right? We have four in the House and two in the Senate. That means there's 529 members of Congress that no one in Utah can vote for and has no accountability over what they do. Well, similarly, in all the other states, federalism was meant that, that the things that most concern our life and our liberty and our property and our pursuit of happiness is controlled at that local level where your voice is magnified where you do have a direct say in in the efficiency and accountability of government. Thank you, Ken. That does bring us to the end of our segment today. I'm Dan Reynolds. I've been your host of another edition of ALEC Across the States. Today, we've been talking about a national federalism task force, model policy that was just passed by a virtual task force meeting headed by senior director Carla Jones of the Federalism and International Relations Task Force. Carla, thanks again for calling in, getting this great discussion going, and for collecting your members for that virtual task force meeting. We're going to be connecting in the show notes all the model policy and some other related documents, so please be sure to check that out. But uh, Carla, thanks again. Thank you. Of course. And also, of course, we've been sitting down with Ken Ivory, who is the ALEC Chair of the Center to Restore Balance in Government, and he's also an adjunct professor in American federalism at Utah Valley University. Ken, thank you once again for calling into the ALEC podcast. Dan, thanks a lot. This is a wonderful time to be alive. We're, as Reagan said, we're lucky not to live in pale and timid times. We've been blessed with the opportunity to stand for something, and nothing is more important than, than preserving this system that, that secures our rights. Thank you for uh, having me on and for getting this information out. Of course. I mean, we're just appreciative that people like you are out there willing to lock arms with us and fight the good fight. Um, that does bring us to the end. If you are interested in having your ideas featured on the Alec Across the States podcast, do not hesitate to email me at acrossthestates at alec.org. We'd love to feature you. We'd love to talk with you. Thank you once again. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 